Can you put up the uh, Protestant and the Roman Catholic chart, the, the two sets of, uh, okay, there's, there's a contrast, keep on, That's, oh, there we go, Protestants, and where do we get the name? Protest. Let me, let me tell you a little church history, and uh, I'm, dead, I'm indebted to uh, Dr. John Hanna. I heard him this summer talk about the Reformation, and a lot of this stuff came back and uh, really stimulated my thinking. Uh, here, we're all members of the Catholic Church, okay, because it means universal. And so, um, there's two great movements in history so far. Uh, the first 400 years, uh, Christianity actually conquered the pagan world in the extent that they outlived Rome uh, and the paganism and the martyrdoms. And so, by the time Constantine in 313 uh, becomes emperor of the Roman Empire and declares it Christian, which was disastrous in many ways, but it did end persecution. And uh, so, we have that period, and so Christianity survived the martyrdoms and all of that. So we go along, and we go along in church history. Uh, we've got Ignatius, and you've got all these different Augustine and other great theologians, and the church does fine as a whole. Uh, but as all uh, erosions, they go slow. About uh, 1100, uh, we, we began something known as scholasticism. And scholasticism uh, started this way. If you were a Catholic monk, uh, and not the Roman Catholic, the Catholic monk uh, up to that time, they were uh, basically abbots. Uh, they lived in monasteries. Uh, it was a hard life. Uh, they prayed. They meditated, uh, they met in circles, they were taught about proclamation, but by the time we did the Crusades and we invaded Muslim countries, uh, the, the Christians found out we were no good at defending our faith because they'd never been taught how to defend the faith. It had been like, we've been taught how to give devotions to one another, but never how to debate an infidel and to debate those that we don't believe in the Trinity. Why do you? Well, we never had to prove it up to that time. We're only talking to ourselves. We're just talking to fellow believers, fellow believers, fellow priests. Teach them how to preach, as it were. Teach them how to teach. But they didn't know how to defend the faith against the Muslim world. They were far ahead of us in the art of Aristotle, logic, and that they cleaned our clock. So guess what they said? We've got to start uh, universities. We've got to start scholasticism. And scholasticism introduced three things. One, uh, a teacher. We never had an appointed teacher. We just had priests in these little congregations. But now we've got to have a teacher. Uh, we've got to have curriculum. So the first systematic theology books were written 1,200. 12, 1300, and you got to have a university. So, Notre Dame and the major universities, uh, we're talking about Peter Lombard, who made his career at Notre Dame. He came up with the seven sacraments. And uh, so, at that time in the scholastic movement, from 1200 
on up to the 1500s, it became a church that was started eroding. Uh, things started coming in. We never had seven sacraments in the church until after Peter Lombard in the 12th century. And Peter Lombard taught uh, his famous four sentences, and then right behind him was a guy named Thomas Aquinas, the brilliant Catholic theologian that wrote his Summa Theologica. And it was his first systematic theology, and he expanded these seven sacraments. And in 1439, at the Council of Florence, they ordained this is it. It's seven sacraments, no more, no less. And if you'd have any more or less, you're anathema. Because now it's doctrine. It's made formal. Up to that time, we had some groups had 30 sacraments. Some had less, some had more. It just floated. But with Peter Lombard, 12th century, and Thomas Aquinas after him, Council of Florence, uh, 1439, it's now doctrine, seven sacraments. Well, you, these protesters, uh, and there were many protests going on because they were seeing the church change. They were seeing doctrines come in. Things were just changing from the fir first church in those first 1,100 years. And by the time they protest, we have this great split in the 1500s, and now it becomes the Roman Catholic Church. So you can no longer call yourself a Catholic that I'm just a Christian in general. Now I'm identified with what is taught by Roman Catholicism, and you've got these bunch of protesters over here that said, man, we can't buy it. We can't buy the changes that have come into the church. We can't buy these sacraments. We can't buy uh, popery. We can't buy Mariolatry. We can't buy, we just, we can't. We can't believe you can buy off some years in purgatory for your loved ones. Where did that come from? Give me a verse for that. Well, where did all this come up? It started coming up in systematic schools and universities, and boom, it just started evolving, evolving. These protesters swingly, uh, Huss all over Luther. You've got to be kidding. I'll nail my 95 theses because he was up there in Germany when the Italians came wanting to raise money to remodel St. Peter's Basilica. And they said one of the best ways to do it is to sell indulgences. And they sent a guy by the name of Tetzel. And he came up and he said his plea would go something like this. How will you dare let your loved ones spend more years in purgatory than they need when for pittance of a donation you can buy off time? And he had a little phrase, uh, as soon as St. Peter, I think, what was it? Here's the coin ring, another soul from purgatory springs. And so they sold, they sold all kinds of, and then these German people under Luther, they protested, and uh, the Pope put out, a wild boar has been unleashed in the vineyard of the Lord, and the boar was Luther, because he didn't buy it. So, let's look, first of all, Matthew 26 is why we take the Lord's Supper. 
let's first of all, most Protestants don't know why we take these ordinances. If they did, they'd all be here. They'd understand it. But look at verse 26, 26, 26. They were eating bread. Christ takes it. Take, eat. This is my body. Took the cup, drank of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drank it new with you in the Father's kingdom. This is repeated in 1 Corinthians 11. The apostle Paul wasn't here. The Lord revealed it to him, said, we take the Lord's Supper, okay? Uh, and we're not cannibalists. Uh, we know that we're not turning any of these elements uh, as in the Catholic system. We just say, uh, that will remain a cracker tonight. But if you grew up under Aristotle, philosophy, and the power of transubstantiation, the priest can pray over it, and it literally becomes the blood and the body of Christ by the miracle of a transferring of these physical elements into the real person of Christ. And uh, makes ours look a little plain, because we're memorialists. We just think it's a memorial and a memory prompter, but we don't change any of the substance. And so, um, we want to look to water baptism. Why do we baptize? We're told in Matthew 28, baptize. How did the, under, the, the early church understand it? Read the book of Acts. By Acts 2, they're baptizing 3,000 people immediately. They understood it, and they baptized. But now, here's the thing you need to know. When we baptize people, and when we take the Lord's Supper, we are celebrating the grace of God that's been received. We're ce celebrating that I have been placed in the body of Christ, and I'm now identified with Jesus Christ through faith, and I'm going to go public with that, I'm making that known, but the baptism will do nothing to me. I'm celebrating what has already happened. I've been joined to Christ. You got that? Now, you, now I'm going to tell you what, what a Catholic baptism is. Oh, no, this is not celebrating because it's all the sacraments are going to, things you got to do to get grace. To get grace, to get grace the favor of God, you got to do this. Because if this baby isn't baptized, they go to hell. And to soften that, because they seem too harsh, they invented limbo. Whereas it's not as hot, not as fiery. But otherwise, they would teach all infants go to hell. But they switch, they added limbo. We don't say baptism saves, Baptism changes your status. No, no, no. Really, Catholics believe in baptismal regeneration. You're saved at baptism, right? All you good Roman Catholic background people? Sure, you were saved at baptism. We say, no, no. That's why we don't baptize children. We know it does, we would just waste water. It's just be empty ceremony. 
Nothing's happened to them. They have not professed the faith. You've done it. And why did you do it, Mama? Why did your parents do it? We want to be sure our child doesn't go to hell, is saved in the Catholic system, and is guaranteed uh, a better future than that pagan child that was never baptized. Okay. So we do that. We take communion as Protestants. We take it to remember that now that we've been introduced to Christ, we feed on Christ, commune with Christ. It's a celebration of the ongoing communion we enjoy with Christ. But we don't ingest Christ. We're not drinking his real blood. We're remembering a death that he died. We're remembering a life that he gave. We are, once again, we're celebrating grace already given. You must get that. We're celebrating grace given. We're not doing it to get grace. Okay? Catholics do it for a different reason, or at least they're taught in the theology. Now, let's do something. Uh, let me walk through. I looked, I've been studying different Catholic theologians, and uh, I want to explain later to you. Uh, maybe this would be a good time. Let's do it. Uh, let's bring up... Um, the Roman Catholic doctrine of merit. Let's bring that up. Okay. Uh, Roman Catholic doctrine on merit. With especially Thomas Aquinas championed this about 1400s. And they developed this, and I, I brought, I downloaded the uh, Roman Catholic statement of this. I've got it, and, and tell you where you can go and get it if you see me later. Uh, and this is an interesting thing. You need to, you've got to have this as a backdrop. Uh, Roman Catholic theology says that Jesus Christ is the only way you can get to heaven. He's the only one that can take care of your sins. And in their theology, they say they'll take the Matthew 6, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, they took and used this of Christ and of those, and Mary and others, they have sainted that their merits go into a treasure chest in heaven. And they call it the treasure of merit. How many of you good Catholics learned this in catechism? Okay. So, you've got Christ puts on deposit all of his death. Mary all of her virtues, other saints. And so you've got this treasure chest of merit up in the heavens. The only place you can get grace. That, that, that argument, Catholics said, we believe in grace. Uh, we believe in Christ. Now, here's the thing. In this treasure of merit that's on deposit by great saints, including Christ, they say... Jesus gave Peter, the first pope, the keys to unlock the treasure chest. So the church, through his popes and his priests, they hold the keys of the kingdom, and they are the only ones who can give you access to this merit. And this merit is dispensed through seven doors, called the sacraments. 
and we're going to dispense this treasure to you. You come to us, and tapping on this rich deposit that's been made in the heavens, we can dispense. We are the dispensers of the grace of God. Because here you must know in Roman Catholic theology, Jesus Christ saves only up to water baptism. At baptism, you're justified. They would say you're regenerate, and you become declared innocent. You, at that time, become like Adam. You are totally, you have been delivered from original sin that Augustine taught. You are no longer identified with Adam. You are justified as a problem. If you should sin after your baptism, venial or mortal, and most of you, who, why mess with the venial when you do a mortal? You did a lot of mortal sins. Got all kinds. Guess what? Your baptism doesn't cover future sin, does it? Your baptism doesn't cover you up here because the death of Christ only covers. Now there's a treasury of merit up here if you could ever get access to it. There's enough merit up there because they would say this, God's grace gives you merit to do good deeds, and if you do enough good deeds, at the end of life, you trade in your stamp book and get your reward, all your good deeds. Now, let's just, so now the church holds the keys to open the doors of grace, and uh, so the church saves after baptism. You don't get last rites, you have no guarantee you'll be saved. If you don't go to confession, if you don't do penance, no guarantee you'll be saved. You'll be in hell. For what? Mortal sin. Well, I already got, that was taken care of at baptism. Only does that eliminate your identity with Adam and original sin, but it does not cover any of your future. So the church becomes the Savior after your baptism, and they control your destiny. Let's look at what the Catholics say in the sacraments. And all you former Catholics, keep me straight, okay? I don't want to lie. I want to just say what they say. Baptism. Let, let me just, uh, why we baptize. We baptize to celebrate. I've become a believer in Christ. I've trusted him. I want to tell you I'm now a Christian. Is that right? Okay. Catholic doctrine. The child is regenerated. They're justified. They're cut off from Adamic uh, guilt, and uh, they are in an innocent state, uh, and they are just, per if they would just die at the font, everything's okay. You know, up to that point. Got it made. Well, what, what age do you usually baptize a Catholic child? What's the, what's the primary age? How, how many? Babies, babies, within three months. Well, see, our kids in our church up to three months are really innocent too, without baptism. Keep them in the nursery. Keep a bottle in their mouth. Come on. The problem is they grow up. Now what are we going to do? Well, now you need a Savior. And the Catholic Church would say too, you need a Savior, and God has provided the church. Because Christ doesn't cover future sin. 
You need to get that in your head. If you don't go through the church and they don't deal with your sin, you cannot go directly to Christ because they are the middleman. You understand that, don't you? Huh? Oh, wow, okay, yeah, they look good then, if that's my only option. So, uh, church saves up, uh, takes over where Christ leaves off, because they've got the key to all the merit you need. Second, you need to be, have confirmation, and confirmations basically, think of this, confirmation says, I'm going to pray over you and see that you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm conferring on you the gift of the Holy Spirit at confirmation. So, I'm giving you another one of the rich treasures out of this treasure chest. You need the Holy Spirit, right? Where do you get it? Confirmation. I'm going to give you the Spirit. Uh, then the Mass, the Eucharist. What does Eucharist mean? Is it all right for us to call it the Eucharist? What would we be saying? You, you, E-U, if, if you did euphemism, what is a euphemism? Just to, with the E-U, you know what the E, the E-U, when you see E-U in the front, I don't know if this stands for Europe, it means good in Greek. Greek is E-U, epsilon, upsilon. Good. Gospel. They had euangelon, good news. Well, Eucharist is thanksgiving, saying good things for a blessing received. And so, communion was called a Eucharist, a thanksgiving. And so, it doesn't matter, matter a Roman Catholic. It sounds liturgical, high church to us. It's a good term. It's okay. But when the Protestants talk about Eucharist and Roman Catholics, we're in two different worlds. We come down here tonight. We'll pass out not one cup that only the priest handles. Uh, we'll let you all individually handle the substance, which you can't do in Catholicism, only the priest. We don't want you laymen defiling it. Uh, and this is what the Mass, and I quote to you from uh, different Roman Catholic uh, books that tell, describe the Mass, because I don't want to misrepresent. Uh, the New York Catechism says this about Eucharist or the Mass. Jesus Christ gave us the sacrifice of the Mass to leave to his church a visible sacrifice, which continues his sacrifice on the cross until the end of time. He left us a vehicle by which we can crucify him until the end of time. The Mass is the same sacrifice of the cross. Holy Communion is the receiving of the body and blood of Jesus Christ under the appearance of bread and wine. You're really taking in the real thing, the blood and body, but it, it's just under these appearance. It appears physical, but you're really getting the real Christ. Let me go on. Pope Pius IV. I profess that in the Mass is offered to God a true, proper, and propitiatory sacrifice. And by that, a sacrifice that satisfies the justice of God. 
for the living and dead. And that in the most holy sacrament of the Eucharist, there is truly, really, and substantially the body and blood together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that there is a conversion of the whole substance, transubstantiation, of the bread into the body and of the whole substance of the wine into the blood, which the Catholic Church calls transubstantiation. A Roman Catholic, um, Irish Catholic, John O'Brien says, The Mass with its colorful vestments and vivid ceremonies is a dramatic reenactment in an unbloody manner of the sacrifice of Christ in Calvary. So the Mass is always in the theology a re-crucifixion of Christ. It's ongoing. And let me you probably never heard this. Did you know what all that priest has to memorize to pull off a mass? I thought you ought to know this. He has to do the sign of the cross 16 times, turn to the congregation six times, lift his eyes to heaven 11 times, kisses the altar eight times, folds his hands four times, strikes his breast 10 times, bows his head 21 times, genuflex eight times, bows his shoulders seven times, blesses the altar with the sign of the cross 30 times, lays his hands flat on the altar 29 times, prays secretly 11 times, prays aloud 13 times, and if he doesn't do all of them enough times, he's blown the mass. You got to be a good mathematician. You got to remember a lot. And he takes the blood and wine and turns it into the literal blood and body of Christ. Mass, another. Listen to the Holy Mass. Now listen to this. This is a Catholic theologian. The Holy Mass is one and the same sacrifice with that of the cross inasmuch as Christ, who offered himself a bleeding victim on the cross to his heavenly Father, continues to offer himself in an unbloody manner on the altar through the ministry of his priest. We're going to start the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is going to say over and over, one sacrifice, one time for all time. Nobody is still putting him to death. He died once to sin. He's not to be put to death anymore. Not in the way we take communion. When you celebrate, we are not... Re this is a celebration night. It's not death and the morgue. He's alive. We're celebrating his death. And what it bought us, we're not putting him to death. Do you understand? We are not putting him to death. But that Catholic person, why do you have to go? Well, you partied all night Saturday night, slept with somebody not your husband, you're half drunk, and if you're Luigi in New York, you just got someone killed. You better get down there and get the mortal sins dealt with. I need somebody to die for what I just did. I need it fresh because I just did fresh sinning. And you could see there'd be a comfort in that that a new atonement has been made for me, a new atonement. And I could see why you want to make Mass, if you believe that. 
And I think something about the Mass, it, it's, it's painful to say, it is amazing how much money the church has made off of doing Masses to benefit the dead. They go in there and to say, uh, buy off years of purgatory for your loved ones if you'll pay for a Mass. A high Mass costs so much. This Mass costs so much. It, we are literally paying dividends to alleviate the pain of our mother and our father and those we hold dear. Can you see the enslavement mentally this would have over the followers, of one billion followers of Catholicism today? You mean I can alleviate my mother's suffering if I'll have a special Mass? Yes. We have power to affect the state of the dead. Wow, what, what, uh, what power. Uh, become vendors of the, men's of so the souls of men. I'll just sell you something that only Christ can do. But I have the key. I can get you access to merit. You don't have access. Yes. What's that? Do, does that cost you? You know, look how much money you folks are saving. We're saving you money. You better be giving in the offering. <laughs> but I mean, can you imagine the fear and the trembling? And uh, when I was in Mexico, I visited uh, several, so many cathedrals there in Mexico City. And uh, I went to the main one, and my heart was broken as the confessional lines were going everywhere. People were on their knees at their main cathedral. I, uh, Oh, they just people kneeling and uh, crawling to get there. And then when I got up, I went inside the cathedral, and I'm looking at all the confessional booths, and then you go around. They've got this statue uh, of Mary, and Mary's here, and Jesus is at her feet, and I get to kiss the statue. I said, wait, wait. Mary ought to be at his feet. He's Lord. And, and, and you know, I mean, when you, when you study Mariolatry, that you have to have Mother God, a, a woman, because she's more compassionate than Jesus. She gets you to Jesus because she has mother instinct. Where did that come from? What verse do we get that from? It all started from 1200 A.D. up to 1500 and those of the old Catholic Church are saying, what has happened to her? Where did all these foreign teachings come from? They were just, they just flooded the church. They just flooded them, one thing after another. Um, penance, what is penance? So we leave Mass. Mass is a living sacrifice, and uh, it's why I don't attend... I've gone maybe twice to Catholic funerals of someone related to the church, but as a whole, I won't because I consider it an idol's temple. I'm strong about that because them re-crucifying Christ and statutes and Mary and Hail Marys. And the, uh, I, I'm a protester. This is not right. This is not a temple. I don't worship idols. I don't go through Mary. And I'm not going to consent to him being crucified again in some ceremony. That's why, though, I love Catholics. 
I think I love everybody. I want to. I want to love them. Matter of fact, Catholics are good because uh, we've stood for so long for moral ground. Uh, let's not be killing babies. Uh, let's protect so many. And, and just to have some uh, piety, some devotion, a sincere Catholic is refreshing to me when we have so much paganism and people don't believe anything. So they're wonderful. God has flooded this church with Catholic background people. Uh, it's wonderful. Let, we should not steer away from Catholics or Jews. We freak out in this church. Unless you've been a hood, we don't know what to do with you. Say, what about I've been a good Roman Catholic? Because we're afraid, where do we start the conversation? Or a Jew. Oh, they're God's people, you know. They're God's people going to hell. You're not going to heaven because you're a Jew. I work with Jews for Jesus. You're not going to heaven because you're a Jew. They go to hell just as quick as us. And we're so busy over here worshiping the idea, oh, you're Jewish blood, that we don't evangelize them. Well, you're related to Abraham. Well, I am too now, according to Galatians 3. Huh? He's my father too in the faith, and I don't have to go through the 12 tribes. I went through the tribe of Judah. I went through the Messiah. Uh, penance. This is what the Catholic Catechism says. It is a sacrament in which the sins committed after baptism are forgiven by means of the absolution of the priest. The priest gives a penance after confession that we may satisfy God for the temporal punishment due our sins. We must accept the penance which the priest gives us to do. Penance may be outward acts, repeating certain prayers many times, Hail Mary, full of grace, have mercy upon us sinners on our time of need, do the rosary, go through the beads, fasting, but it is payment now for sins done since baptism. What is the biblical way to deal with sin after baptism? Could someone quote it? If we confess to a priest, but who do we confess them to? To who? Who's him? Uh, who's our advocate? Jesus Christ, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Confess them to him. And Jesus, what do I need to, how many, uh, uh, what do you want me to do? And he said, I already paid for it. I've just been waiting to forgive you. Lord, isn't there something for me to do? I'm a Roman Catholic kid. These Protestants don't do anything but lay around. What do you want me to do? I want you to celebrate what I did. What I did. Calvary, get, hear me now. Here's the thing. Calvary, did God cover only the sins of your life up to the time you got saved? You mean it covers the future too? We don't have to re-crucify it? You mean one death for all time? And, and, and you just skate into heaven? Well, no, well, you confess it, but you don't have to make an appointment. You don't have to go to a booth. You don't have to do any works. You don't have to genuflect. You don't have to fast. Confess it. 
and it's immediately the blessing. The death of Christ is applied to your situation now. Just like that. It just, it is amazing. When you know the other alternatives. So we don't do penance. We confess. And it's forgiven. Uh, extreme unction, the fifth one. What's extreme unction? They took, they took James 5 where it says pray for the sick, and they take that to be used of those who are maybe terminally ill uh, in the throes of uh, serious ailments, whatever, and uh, the priest will come and anoint you, uh, what, what you'd consider last rites, come in, and uh, anointing by the priest of those in danger of death by sickness with holy oil, accompanied with a special prayer. It is called extreme because administered to sick persons when thought to be near close to death. So it's extreme. You need help right now. The priest prays prayers said to offset the sins of the person. When in the world do I get my sins taken care of in this system? After, and, and how long will purgatory be? You only got a thousand years. Don't sweat it. Well, you, can I get down to five? Five hundred. Woo! I'm doing good. Only five hundred years of torment. Think of it. That's my hope. Oh, God, Catholics ought to be depressed. So, I stay guilty. I've talked to many Catholics. I'm, I'm always guilty. I've never done enough. It, the debt is never paid. I've got to do some more penance, some more confession, some more mass. It, it's never over. And, and when I die, I have no, I can't really say in Catholic theology, I'll see you in heaven. I'll see you in purgatory. Because everybody's got to go to purgatory. Huh? Oh, the merit of the saint. Do some escape purgatory? Okay. What about Mother Teresa? But she'd still go to purgatory. But she deposited since she's been sainted, hasn't she? Not, or has she yet? But when they get, if they get her sainted, guess what? We just deposited some more merit in the treasure chest you can draw on. Because you can draw on the treasure chest of Christ and the saints' treasure chest of merit. But remember, remember, don't you get carried away. I got the keys to whether you get access. You can't access this merit without going through the church. I represent the church, and I, I'll give you access or not. Does it, any of this make sense? Do you understand what seven, and all of these are keys that give you grace, grace, grace. And uh, look at Priscilla, you grow up Catholic? You didn't grow up, what were you, Baptist? Wow, you grew up Catholic. Uh, every guilty Catholic. Here, where are you? Okay, sure. See, man, uh, tell me, let me ask you, and since, was there ever a time that you were not um, feeling guilty or that you wouldn't necessarily go to heaven? Did you ever know, know you were going to heaven? You were always scared. Always going to hell. Was scared. Is there any others that would agree, I mean, that had that experience? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's torture. 
And I think sometimes we don't appreciate the grace that we live under because we've never been under the other systems and other ways, but just glory be to God that, my, he's made it so simple that not even a child need perish if they'd come through Christ. 